fire when ready. Now, can I walk around a little bit? Will that still pick me up? I'll have to follow you. You'll have to follow me. No, I'll walk around. <laughs> I mean, you know, just from can one you side. you talk and way. walk at the same time? That's oh, funny. I'm a peripatetic <laughs> There's another presenter. There's it's in the room back here. Oh. Is that okay. still okay, Ken? Do you want the higher stool? Well, I I I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, Pat Pat said that I should uh, uh, look up once in a while because I hide behind the computer here. She says. <laughs> anyway, well, today's a special morning. It's. Uh, it was a very special day a long time ago when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That, that, that's, it's an amazing day because it's a fulfillment of an aspect of the, uh, of the ninth chapter of Daniel, the 70th week of Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel. When he came into the came into Jerusalem that day. It was prophesied right to the very day. It's an amazing thing. Um, boy, I don't know. Maybe I'll fall off that thing. <laughs> we'll give it a try. That was about three inches taller. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I... Uh, I recently, uh, fairly recently, had a conversation with a uh, dear brother who told me that he felt that he could believe in evolution, and he does believe in evolution, and still be a good Christian. And so he began to kind of ply uh, his reasons for that, and he's... Uh, very well educated and is doing advanced work and a degree at a university and uh, anyway I, I just was uh, dumbfounded because uh, I, I just was overcome with the assumptions that he was making and uh, I just felt like uh, he was he was taking some things as true that and, and assumed to be true. Anyway, the long and short of it, as we were discussing this, uh, he brought up the question. He asked me. He said, and I think it was about the parable of the woman with the lost coin. And he, he asked me, he says, do you think that there really was historic, when Jesus told that story, that it, there really was a an actual woman who lost the coin? And I said, well, I said, um, if he wasn't referring to someone specifically, that certainly has happened to many people <laughs> or something somewhat similar. And I says, I think that when he told the story, he was basing it on a, on a historical fact. And right then I knew where he was going to go with this. He was going to go back to the early 
chapters of Genesis and question whether those were actually parable, that was a parable, an allegory, or was it historical fact? So anyway, that caused me to uh, do some serious thinking and reading. And one of the books I went and got uh, out of my library was this uh, book called The Four Views on the Historical Adam. Now this is part of a series that uh, Zondervan produces. It's called uh, Four Views, or, or it's called the Counterpoint Point Series. And they have quite a number of different, um, and I want to pass this out to you to show you all the different titles that they have on this. And this, this would be good for you. Could I have a couple of distributors? Uh, this, the, these um, books will give you the different views on the different subjects, theological subjects. And so if you're ever interested in a particular subject and uh, wonder why or how uh, they get this or that, there, there's plenty of those so you can each... Each have a copy. You don't have to share them per household. There's, there's enough for every person. But um, just, just look at some of these. Uh, the, the one, the one that I'm particularly interested in and have been interested in is this one on the the historical Adam. There's these are on both sides uh, of the sheet. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one that's going to come out in May. Down at the bottom of, of the front page there, Genesis, History, Fiction, or Neither. Three views on the Bible's earliest chapter. Uh, but I think it's going to be very similar to uh, have a, a lot of things in common with this four views on the historical Adam. But all of these, all these different things... Um, who runs the church? Different views on church leadership. Uh, understanding the four views on the Lord's Supper. Uh, the reason why uh, some of these are in the dark type up above, uh, that was just for my benefit and advantage that uh, I have those electronically uh, on, the, on the computer and I can read them on the computer. And they're nice to be able to read on the computer because when it gives you a scripture reference, all you have to do is put your mouse over it and the verse pops right up. So you can, uh, and then you can make it in nice big type <laughs> so you can see it. So all these things, though, it's just two views of women in ministry, uh, three views on creation and evolution, uh, four views on hell. Man, a lot. So anyway, uh, as far as creation goes, there, there's a wide diversity of opinion with regard to to uh, creation itself, and and even the the early verses of uh, of Genesis. Let me let me pass this chart out to you. This this is really interesting. Um, I think Dave, you can need a couple more. Oh, I think this is 
we'll put some of these, we'll leave some of these at the back for uh, Baumgartels and the Mealy. Who else is not here this morning? Mealy's. Yeah, the Mealy's. Uh, if you, if you, anybody wants to pick some extra ones up for them, or but we'll we'll leave them in the, we'll leave some in the back. But this this was a really interesting chart and caught my attention, uh, particularly with regard to uh, creation, and and it was somewhat disturbing to me, in the sense that some of some of my favorite authors aren't in the right column. <laughs> and uh, I'm particularly inclined to believe in, in the young earth view. And uh, so anyway, all the different views. And so this man I was talking to, of course, held to the far right column theistic evolution. God used natural processes, biological evolution to create everything. Okay, so what? So what? We got all of this divergency and this differences and even in our own midst we have come, we have a lot of differences because we all come with different assumptions and presuppositions and it's not bad to have assumptions and presuppositions as long as they're the right ones <laughs> you know, and they're biblical ones solidly biblical ones and I'm not talking about just a verse here and a verse there and so forth because all verses have to be interpreted in light of the whole thing and that's why we need to read through the scriptures once a year. Get on our Bible reading program. And it takes real discipline to do that. So, now with that in mind, we come to the text that's before us. And I find a real struggle with this because we have this wide diversity of opinions and views and theology and what do we read in the very first verse okay let's here's one more thing to pass out greg says he lives and dies by his pass outs <laughs> i live it, i double live and die by the pass outs and I'm not till everybody passes out now now, brother, brother Dave Jackson has piqued me in my presentations that I don't seem to cover very much or get very far in the uh, in the text that uh, has been assigned to me in, in the rotation, and I, I, I confess to you that uh, the problem is is that. You dig and dig and dig and you just find so much. It's just hard. It's not what to give. It's what to leave out is where the problem is. But um, but since Dave has uh, 
pointed that out to me. We're going to cover the whole thing this week. <laughs> and we're going to do it right now. <laughs> so get your sheet out. This is based on the on the uh, that sheet there. This is based on the New King James Version. And we're going to read this together out loud. Okay? Everybody ready? Here we go. Verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would see life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than Okay, right out of the chute, after we see this tremendous diversity of opinion and this great diversity, we come to the very first phrase, finally, and the finally there means kind of in conclusion, all of you be in one mind. Now, how in the world do we do that with this great diversity of opinion? Well, I, I'm constrained to believe that if we do the rest of it in that verse, it'll help us, or it'll, in effect, practically bring us to a place of being of one mind, in a sense. So, what are those different... In fact, all of, in verse 8 here, all of these... Uh, all of these... Uh, characteristics, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. All of those are, uh, are adjectives. They're not verbs. So what's the significance of that? You'll notice that um, uh, there in verse 8 it says, of you be, that, that's supplied in a sense of, um, and it makes it sound like that it it's an imperative verb, a command, but it these are really these are really adjectives. And so what's the significance of that? 
These, these are descriptive characteristics that ought to be part of us. Characteristics. These, these similarly, over with regard to the uh, qualifications for elders and deacons, those are all adjectives as well. In other words, they are, they are not necessarily something that we aspire for, although we do aspire for them, uh, but they should be qualities of our life. Character qualities, so to speak. Um, the, fir- the first one, of course, being of one mind. Uh, functionally, we, if we keep studying and we keep learning, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we stick to a proper interpretation and approach to Scripture, we'll come to a, a uh, singleness of mind with regard to uh, these subjects. I, I, I have really enjoyed these books in the Counterpoint series because they've helped me to see that uh, what I hold to and believe, it really uh, helps me to establish uh, as I see what others... Uh, what brings them to their conclusions. And most of their conclusions many times are theological opinions. um, But having compassion for one another. Now the word for having compassion is the word that we uh, get the English word sympathy for. And, and what that what's involved in that is that, that we we have a a, a uh, similarity or we have feelings with someone uh, that we maybe we can't enter into exactly the same experience that they're going through, but we we really sympathize with them and. Uh, as, as the prayer requests and, and things were shared this morning, um, did you feel a yearning in your heart for these circumstances? That, that's what's involved, having compassion, a yearning in your heart. And love as brothers, uh, it, it says, um, um, you know, it says brothers. Doesn't say sisters. <laughs> well, I'll leave the ladies out uh, because, because you're included in that too, as well. But it's interesting that that, that scripture says brothers, brothers. You know, my wife and I pick up uh, our granddaughter on Mondays at her school and take her down to where her mother teaches school. And it's interesting to sit there in the car while we're waiting and, and uh, the kids come out and the boys come out. And the boys are all pushing and shoving and yanking on somebody's hair and jumping and running. And, and, and the girls come out and they don't come out the same way. But boy, the boys are running and pushing and, and uh, they're released. It's the boys, the brothers that need to love. <laughs> Innately, uh, the girls are. Uh, I'm not saying that this this uh, word brothers mean just 
is males. It's all of us, but uh, uh, the boys particularly. We, they, it, it's amazing to see the to see the kids as they come out and how different the boys are and the girls are in uh, in elementary school. And then we come to be tender-hearted. Now this is a, this is a this is a real interesting word. The closest I can come to tell you what that word means is, have, have you ever heard of um, uh, somebody say, boy, I feel it in my gut. You heard that? I feel it in my gut. Well, that's actually kind of where part of the Greek word is. And, and when you feel something down deep, that's that's what's involved in this. Uh, this isn't superficial. This is down deep. It's feeling it down deep, feeling it in your gut, so to speak. And then we come to the last one, which is what? Courteous. What? Courteous. Now, if you have any translation other than a King James Version or a New King James Version or a 21st century New King or 21st century King James Version or whatever the like, you won't find the word courteous. Down at the bottom here, you see it says number two? Look down at the bottom. So what will you find? Hmm? Humble. Two different Greek words. So which one is it? Well, about three quarters of all of the Greek manuscripts that we have that come to bear on the book of 1 Peter have courteous. And only one quarter, and even there there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's somewhat of a mixture of that quarter have um, the other word. Now, so which is right? Should we be concerned about which is right? Why should we be concerned about? Why should we quibble about words as far as Scripture goes? Why, why should we be exercise ourselves? Why should I exercise myself? I, I don't expect everybody to get into this at this level, but somebody needs to. Somebody needs to. Why should we be concerned about it? Brother Dave last week brought up in uh, class of how, how'd you put that, Dave, about inspiration, how, how groups uh, uh, have in their doctrinal statement uh, Teaching on the inspiration scripture, of the scriptures scripture is the, the final authority. Is the final authority, and yet they they sort of don't pay much attention to it. Well, we talk about what was inspired. What kind of inspiration do we believe in? Verbal, plenary. There you go. What we say? What? The Two ver things. Verbal, plenary. So when we talk about verbal, what are we talking about? 
The words. So we need to know which words really belong there. And plenary means all or complete. So we believe in, so we need to be concerned about what, uh, what words belong there. Now, let, let me tell you what, what uh, my trek on this was. When I went to graduate school, there were two professors there. I'll call them Pro Professor J and Professor H. And I knew that these two guys didn't agree. They were both, uh, they were both, both Greek scholars, particularly. And they didn't agree. They, they were held to different views on which Greek families were, uh, were different. And uh, I really... Uh, so I decided to major in uh, New Testament language and literature, which is Greek, and I really followed Professor Jay, and he held to the uh, Greek manuscript tradition that all of the modern translations follow, except for the King James Version. And the other professor, he held uh, Professor H, he held to the other group. And uh, I, I worked in the bookstore, and Professor H had asked that we carry a couple of little paperback books. And uh, so we had those in the bookstore, and I, I saw those there, and I thought, I better pick those up in some time when I have time. And there's no time when you're <laughs> in seminary. I says, I'll, I'll read those. So... I bought those and put them in my library, and there they sat. And then uh, I graduated, and a friend of mine graduated a year before I did, and he went into and became a Wycliffe Bible translator. Okay. And so he moved on up to British Columbia, north-central British Columbia. He's been a good friend all through the years. Anyway... He started working with this group of Indians, the Babine Carrier Indians. They're an Athabascan uh, language group. And so he, he finally learned enough of their language that he, uh, he started to translate. And uh, pretty soon he finished all the Gospel of Mark. And uh, he usually came down about twice a year from... Uh, from Canada to uh, resupply, and he uh, he visited with us and kind of made Tacoma kind of a, a touchstone base. Uh, and anyway, he um, he gave me this Gospel of Mark, and I looked at that and <laughs> Babine Carrier, and uh, but I, I was really puzzled. Uh, I couldn't understand why he used this Greek text that Professor H advocated. And so I, uh, I, I, I didn't say anything to him, but I just said, you know, maybe I better go get those two books that Professor H asked us to have in the bookstore and, uh, and read those. And so uh, I read the, I started in on the first one, and I was impressed by the uh, author because this man had a PhD from Harvard University 
in New Testament. And he wrote his doctoral dissertation on the Caesarean family of manuscripts. And so, you know, he, he certainly had the pedigree. But uh, the title of that book was The King James Version Defended. Uh, his name was Dr. Edward H. Hills. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But I read that book and I was, a bit, I'll tell you, my mouth dropped open. Because he pointed out of how many manuscripts agree with the King James Version. The preponderance of them. Anywhere from 75 to 95 percent of all manuscripts agreed. And, um, and then he said, and he pointed out that this evidences a particular doctrine that began to emerge in the uh, Reformation Church and then it kind of disappeared. The last time it appeared in some form was in the Westminster Confession of Faith, but there only fleetingly. But he pointed out that um, Scripture regarding itself teaches the providential preservation of Scripture. You know, and that, that answered a question to me. <coughs> and the question was, now if my voice gives out, I'm, I'm on the tag end of recovering from about a pneumonia. So uh, I got a rattle in my chest and so forth. So... Uh, but the providential preservation, you know, I'd never thought of about that before. But um, it, it just, it really answered a question. And the question is this. Uh, most people believe that the scriptures are inerrant in what? In the original manuscript. But do we have the original manuscript? No, we don't. So what good is that then? We don't have the original manuscript. But God has promised to preserve his word. Now, you tell me which one do you think better represents the providential preservation of scripture? The 80 to 90% group of manuscripts or that small other group? You know, the other group actually relies upon about eight manuscripts. And without getting too technical here, let me just tell you this, that those eight manuscripts differ among themselves. And there's no coherent harmony among them. <coughs> now, the, uh, the preponderance that do have an agreement, it's not an absolute agreement. But it is that such a strong similarity that it's incredible. Now, Professor H <coughs> and his brother David did a uh, did a paper together, and they uh, and his brother David was a statistician. He was a statistician from, um, and, and he worked in the military. Anyway, David did a, a large part of this paper, and he came 
to the conclusion, and he had all these statistical charts, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't have, um, I did not have take statistics in college, but uh, oh, thank you. I didn't take uh, statistics, but this is what David's conclusion was after he looked at all of the different manuscripts and how they would have been transmitted and so forth. And he said this phenomenon of this great predominance that agrees among itself can't happen. Statistically, it's improbable. It can't happen. Unless there is some type of outside intervention regarding it. And so, one Sunday morning when I was still preaching at Central Bible, I got up and said, you know, you've heard me make corrections to your Bibles, to your, and we had, we had, for the Pew Bible, we had the Schofield Reference Bible, the hardback Schofield Reference Bibles, and I would tinker with that once in a while and say, well, the better manuscripts, and so I says, I was wrong to say that. And I says, I says, I'm not going to do that anymore because I believe that what you've got there is closer to the original than you can imagine. Now, courteous. Is it courteous or is it humble? Well, I think it's courteous. I think there's good reason. Now, it's only three quarters of all of the extant Greek manuscripts that, but they pretty much agree. But there is some disagreement even among the, uh, and I don't want to labor here with uh, the two different Greek words and so forth. But okay, let's have some fun after all of that. <laughs> Who is Mr. Courteous in the New Testament? Does anybody know? I'll give you some hints. And whoever gets it will get a special prize. Now, Mr. Courteous lived on an island. Barbus. Pardon? Barbus. Who? Barbus. No. John. No, wait a minute. Slow down. Raise your hand, will you? Raise your hand. Okay. If you think you know, don't just blurt it out. <laughs> and I want you to be pretty certain. Is this a two thousand uh, dollar question? Yeah. Okay, he it, it was it. He, he li lived on an island in the Mediterranean, and he lived on a very. He owned a very expensive estate. And the island was Malta. Anybody getting closer? And go ahead. Silas. Pardon? Silas. Silas? Good try. But no banana. <laughs> he lived on an island. And he was visited by the Apostle Paul. And 
In fact, the Apostle Paul healed this man's father. Anybody figure it out yet? Great. You got it! Publius. Publius. Now, why is uh, Publius necessarily so uh, so important? Because he, he was... He was Mr. Courteous. Let me read you where that's referred to. It says uh, over in Acts chapter 28 and verse 7, it says, In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us, the King James Version says, courteously for three days. So he's Mr. Courteous. It's a characteristic that we ought to have is being courteous. All of these characteristics boy, I feel greatly deficient in especially the courteous angle. But we are to have as a descriptive characteristic, as part of our character, being courteous. So, our time is gone. (laughs) And we covered one verse. (laughs) Okay, I've just got to show you just uh, one more thing real quick here. Uh, The... um, I wish we could go through some of this. i point out two quick things. Look at verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You may inherit a blessing. Did you know that there are two inheritances in the New Testament? One is an inheritance that you have that's inviolable and can't be taken away but one you can lose Um, and just in passing uh, all of the commentators when they read this verse they say they read it and they say knowing that to knowing that you were called to this you were called to this and they say well what is this referring to is it referring back to the blessing, contrary to the blessing uh, before, or does it point forward to the inheritance, to the, the inherit, inheriting of blessing? And they're, they're, they're just uncertain as to what what is there. You know why they're uncertain? Because in the translation, in the Greek text that they use, there's a word that's left out. And it's the word knowing. And without, because we're like an Egyptian mummy pressed for time, we, uh, we're going to just have to let you know that knowing that you were called to this really refers to the inheritance. Now let me just tell you, one man that has done a, a significant amount of uh, research 
on uh, inheritance, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, is a man by the name of Joseph Dillo. Um, and he wrote a book called, a big fat thick book, excellent, just wonderful book, called The Reign of the Servant Kings. Now what's he talking about, The Reign of the Servant Kings? That There are going to be servant kings and queens in the millennium. And uh, anyway, he comes to the conclusion here in one of his sections. And just listen to what he says. He says, all believers have God as their inheritance, but not all will inherit the kingdom. Furthermore, inheriting the kingdom is not to be equated with entering it, but rather with possessing it and ruling there. All Christians will enter the kingdom, but not all will rule there that is inherited. Now, that's, that's a summary statement of an awful lot of information that he, he has gone through. So, you'll be there if you're a believer. And all you have to do to become a believer is believe the promise that Jesus Christ gave of eternal life. Jesus Christ promised to give eternal life to anyone who believes that he gives and guarantees it. That's what makes you a Christian. Simple as John 3.16. That's all that John 3.16 says. So stick with the simplicity of the gospel. All Christians will enter the kingdom. But the question is, is ruling it. Okay, let's let's uh, go to one more point and we'll quit. I want you to come down here and look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Here we are, picky about words again. Uh, number five, what does number five say? we had time, we could show you the difference. Number five, there in that verse, it says, Christ is Lord. So is it sanctify the Lord God, or is it sanctify Christ is Lord in your hearts? Well, they're both good ideas, but if we believe in verbal inspiration, it's one or the other. Well, Lord God, God occurs 90, in the manuscripts, 94% of the Greek manuscripts support God. So which one reflects providential preservation? Don't throw away your King James versions or your New King James versions. That's all I say. I. Uh, what do you read, kid? <laughs> I read the New King James version. Haven't you guessed by now? <laughs> In English. And, uh, uh, I, I work with, uh, there's three guys that are really advocates. It's Wilbur Pickering. And Wilbur Pickering is a Wycliffe Bible translator in Brazil. And um, he has he is, uh, worked extensively in textual criticism, especially in, in um, Family F35, never mind. Uh, but anyway, Wilbur Pickering, Maurice Robinson, and uh, uh, Zane Hodges and Art Farstead. 
both of those two guys, St. Hodges and Art Farstead, have gone to be with the Lord now. But um, great, great scholars. And, uh, they, uh, they've all produced what they feel is a, uh, a version of the great New Testament that is based on uh, the majority text. Majority text. Let's uh, let's leave it at that. But anyway, uh, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give a defense. Okay, what does that mean? What's involved in that? Does that really mean that uh, you better get it all together in case somebody asks you a question? I'll never forget this. The president of the seminary, Dr. John Walvoord. Uh, told the story in class one day. He said he had a neighbor that was a Mormon, and the, and the neighbor, the neighbor asked him if he'd ever ever read the Book of Mormon. And Dr. Walbert said no, he hadn't. And so uh, Dr. Walbert got a hold of a copy of the Book of Mormon and he read it all the way through. And Dr. Walbert said nobody ever asked him that question again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, does it mean that you need to uh, get all of this ammunition? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's good to get, you need to accumulate the ammunition, but you need to go, you need to uh, uh, know where to go get stuff. You know, find the stuff, have the stuff. I have a big, big group at my house and on my computer of what we call the silent professors. <laughs> the silent professors. And uh, we need to have the resources. We need to know where to go find things. That's why you need to build a build a Christian library, either electronically, preferably electronically, because you can do more with it quicker. And it'll make you go till noon too. Uh, but in Matthew, now, now, how do we square? Uh, 3.15 with this. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And then in Luke 21, 12 through 15, it says this, But before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it <coughs> in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So, how should we do this? It says, with meekness and reverence. Now, just this in closing. Meek is not weak. It is power that is restrained. It's under control. This word meekness is used of the domestication of a horse. You know, horses are very powerful and they can be scary. 
But once you get a horse broken or domesticated, it becomes power under control. And that's what that's really what meekness is. Power under control. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Yeah. And we are to be meek. We are to yield that power. Let God put that horse or that saddle and bridle on us. Pickering says this, I referred to him. Since the worldview of the Bible is far superior to all others, someone who really understands issues can smash the opposition. Well, I've seen some guys debate and they have just smashed the opposition. But they did it with real tenderness. But Peter says not to do that. Smash the opposition. By handling the questioners gently, we have a better chance of converting them. In verse 18, he will make the point that in this view, we will be able to be following Christ's example. How many have heard of Dr. Francis Schaeffer? Almost all of you. Well, Dr. Schaeffer debated Bishop Pike, who was a, a notorious Anglican um, liberal, a liberal liberal. And Dr. Pike also was engaged in a question and answer session with another famous uh, apologetic theologian. And after the two experiences, different experiences that Bishop Pike said, they asked him, well, how do you feel you fared with regard to uh, the two engagements? And Dr. Pike says, well, I lost them both. He said, but he said, you know, he says, I know that Dr. Schaefer loved me. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would arm ourselves with these great, great thoughts in your word that came from your servant who oftentimes stuck his foot in his mouth but was used to bring us this great teaching. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've all been so good, except for Dave right at the end, <laughs> that uh, this is... Um,